Hello everyone and welcome to the Women's Football Podcast for our look at the beautiful game from Champions League to the National League and beyond. My name is Chess Warren and I'm joined by some very special guests today. We have the freelance journalist Mariam Naz and we're also joined by Alex Pereira. Now, starting off with the WSL, we had two games postponed this week as Everton versus Chelsea and Arsenal versus Reading were both put back due to COVID cases. So we're going to start today with our first kickoff of the week, lunchtime on Saturday, Manchester United versus Birmingham at the Lee Sports Village. Now, Birmingham came out incredibly strongly from their winter break last week by beating league leaders Arsenal. And it was a question of whether they could carry that momentum on. Unfortunately, they were not able to do so. Manchester United came out with an intense attacking togetherness and put four past the Blues before the break. Katie Zellum opened the scoring in the 12th minute through lobbing the keeper and Galton then scored two goals in two minutes. The final goal of the half came from Ella Toon, um, a strike which ricocheted off the crossbar onto Emily Ramsey's back and then into the back of the net. Now, the game ended 5-0 with Birmingham dropping back to be a much tighter defensively in the second half. Russo scoring the only goal of the second 45 minutes through a beautiful diving header from a Blundell cross. Now, Mariam, it's a disappointing day for Birmingham after last week. What went wrong defensively? Yeah, I, I think you're right, because when I was kind of looking at this week's fixtures, I was like, this is the one to look out for because... I don't know how they won against Arsenal or not even just Arsenal, but also a fully fit Arsenal and Arsenal that had John Nobbs and Arthur, you know, Beth Mead and Vivian Medema. They were fully fit. They were a very strong team and, and, you know, Birmingham did very well to defeat them as a Chelsea fan. That's, that's pretty great because we really needed that. But this week, it seems things that were much different. And I think what United did very well is, is counter very well. They really, pushed Birmingham in a way where they weren't allowed to press very high so they were leaving in gaps behind and I think that as you mentioned the two goals in two minutes that in itself from Leigh Galton that's an example of exactly what was happening quick counters transitional football fast you know not allowing presses or even presses that weren't very good because if you don't press as a collective you leave gaps in behind and I think that's what was happening and five goals I think in the second half, as, as you say, they tightened up defensively, but but that didn't give them much to go forward because they were having to defend in a very sort of strict formation of two blocks of four. So, um, you know, having to do that to sort of conservate and, and make sure no, no more goals came through, I think that was really, really difficult for them. It's hard to come from, you know, a victory against the league leaders, breaking your, I think it's like 805-day unbeaten run or something like crazy mm. like that, and then go to United and... and have this kind of result and as you say it's it is a pretty interesting permutation so their rivals Leicester won yesterday and that means that they go back to the bottom of the table so uh, it's if I was a Birmingham fan I'd be pre- feeling pretty pretty low especially after last week it's quite a fast come down completely now do you think that is the Arsenal played poorly last week or Birmingham played very well or in this game this week United played very very well and Birmingham didn't play very well at all. Um, it's a really good question. I think I think Arsenal defensively did what United were trying to do. Sorry, no, United were um, were able to do defensively what Arsenal were trying to do, which is really push up and and stop them from utilizing the wings, uh, the wing areas. Um, 
again, like I said, they were then able to turn into transitional counterattacks. I think what Arsenal were trying to do was feed through the fullbacks because that's exactly like that's their preferred way of attacking. They do that. They bring Medima out on the left and out wide, and they're really able to utilize those areas to bring in crosses to the middle. Um, and I think that United were able to do something completely different. So, yeah, you could say that Arsenal didn't play as well, but at the same time, you have to think about the caliber of, you know, the form, the difference. You take a team that's at the bottom of the table very much and a team that's literally right at the top. Um, so I think it was very much an opportunity missed. Their rivals, um, Chelsea, have missed a few games because of COVID. So the opportunity was there to really push up and get three points and Arsenal were unable to do that. And um, and Birmingham really took the opportunities that they had. And I think that United did a very much tighter defensive job in terms of pushing with their back their back three and sometimes back four. So I think that um, I think that United did a better defensive job and maybe just did their homework better, knowing exactly what Birmingham had done last week to Arsenal. There is consistently a lot of criticism for United on their lack of strikers. They famously have more registered goalkeepers than <laughs> forwards um, and have just missed out as well on the signing of Stina Blackstenius to Arsenal. There were moments of real kind of tick attack of football, especially in the first half. Do they still need to worry about their lack of strikers? Well, it's quite an interesting thing because it's something I've noticed with the Spurs women's team. I was doing a little bit like... I was doing a piece on them recently and and for years they really had this problem having no out and out striker um you know they brought in Alex Morgan to try to help do that and it didn't work and this season they're doing really well and a lot of people aren't noticing because you know Arsenal are doing well but they had a similar issue in terms of a, not a real presence up front and what they've done this season is it's convert the team around that issue so their fullbacks they bring in more centrally uh their number 10 Arizala Yan they push her further up they're doing really well this season because um the new manager Arne Skinner is finding ways to get the best out of the team without the striker and as you say what we saw from United was that they were doing exactly the same they were fast counter-attacking football really gives you the chance for your fullbacks to push up quite high and that means that you can play centrally they play right through defensive midfields and that's exactly what United did so you say that and I'm wondering whether whether we're kind of coming to an age where you don't kind of need those things you see a lot in the men's football they use the false nine structures um you don't have to need an out and out striker they use a 4-3-3 formation and I think that a lot of women's teams are picking up on this I will kind of say the same about Chelsea as well I know I keep mentioning them sorry um but yeah obviously they have Sam Kerr but she doesn't always play in the striker position. They're able to be interchangeable. And I think if you have an attack like United that are interchangeable, you don't often need to be so worried about not having someone up front. United move up to third with this win, which is level with Chelsea, but Chelsea do have two games in yeah. hand. Do you think it's realistic for them to be making Champions League or challenging for the top spots this season? Oh, gosh. It's really difficult because Spurs are also in the mix. I've just mentioned them. And and, and as we'll talk about a little bit later, they had a, an unfavourable result this weekend. It It's a tight one because it's gonna it's obviously going to be Chelsea-Arsenal, but whether it will be United or Spurs, that's the question. Nobody expected Spurs to kind of be in this position at all. And I think that's probably why a lot of people aren't even recognising that they are. Um, but I, I think that defensively Spurs have a ways to go. Um, they're still in a sort of transformative phase. And I think that they have some issues defensively, especially on the counter. Uh, playing out from the back hasn't worked for them. I think United are a little bit stronger and also a little bit more experienced in terms of how long they've been in the WSL. Um, 
I think, I think, yes, I think if they were able to continue on this form and really work on the issues, I do think that United could be the team to go through. And I think they should be. I think they, if they weren't, they should be disappointed. Aston Villa versus Manchester City. Off to Villa for a Georgia Stanway masterclass. The kickoff was delayed yep. due to a frozen pitch, but when City came on, you could just tell they were on fire. Stanway opened the scoring five minutes into the first half, and although Villa defended tightly, they could not contain Manchester City, who ended up winning the game 3-0. Now, notable um, from Anna Patton, the loney from Arsenal, gave her all at the back. She started at centre-back. But this is now um, Villa's fourth straight league defeat. And with only 10 points, it's starting to look a little bit worrying at the bottom as Leicester and Birmingham are picking up the points. Now, Alex, is luck back on the side of Manchester City? A little bit. And I think when you score within the first five minutes, it really does give your opponent that psychological blow that, you're always fighting for the next 85 minutes to be in in with a shout with the in the game. And Georgia Stanway scoring a double really probably knocked the wind out of Villa. So with the fact that they've lost, what was it, three in a row, three, four in a row, it's not helping the situation. It's probably is making it a lot worse. Even though 10 points isn't too bad, but they'll be surely wanting more if they want to survive for next season. Especially as now Leicester is on six points and Birmingham are on four. They are leaning towards it being particularly tricky down at the bottom. They don't want to accidentally find themselves in the relegation position. On that note, Villa have been on such a poor run of form. It makes their game next week against Leicester City even more interesting. Do you think they've got the power to bring it back? I'd like to say yes. The optimist in me says yes, but the pessimist in me says no, just because of the run of form they've been on. But Leicester haven't done particularly too well in the league, like you say, on six points. So it could go either way, but Villa will be hoping and praying they've got enough in the tank to get those three points because otherwise, like you say, Birmingham on four, Leicester on six. And if Leicester then go on to win against Villa, it's only one point between them. It really is a big relegation dogfight. Mariam, what's gone wrong for Villa? They started the season so promisingly and with the new manager too, Carlin Ward, which, who is very well respected in the WSL. They brought players in, they reformed their new system. What has gone wrong? I think um, defensively, it was always a, coming up against certain teams, especially the big teams, there's always a, a risk of being caught out. But I think one thing I've noticed about Villa is, is that when it comes to formations and defensive formations, they really, really struggle. Georgia Stanway yesterday, of course, she's an amazing player. She's in form. She's got like five goals in three games. But she was just running through, like there was no defensive midfield at all. There was no press. There was no um, systemic change to bring players, the fullbacks back into position. Um, and I'm noticing as well, I think there was a stat that I saw um, and I was emailed about how um, under the new manager, they dropped in terms of the shots on target they've dropped in terms of xg um although there's been a defensive change in terms of defensive issues they aren't they aren't then being able to convert that into attack they only had three shots on target out of a possible 13 um you know that's been quite a recurrent thing for them so i think 
it's not just, you know, you think it's a defensive issue and it very much is, but because of the defensive issues, it's having a knock-on effect on everything else on the midfield. That's, that's not providing protection for the back four with, you know, Anna Patton, you mentioned she tried her best yesterday, but it just wasn't enough. And, and that in itself is having permutations further up. So it's, it seems very much that there's, um, <clears throat> there's all areas where the issues are coming up. And as you say, uh, the results aren't in their favour and you have to think of, of Leicester who won yesterday by one goal and, and Birmingham who picked up a result so um, there's there's very much a big risk of them going down and if you know they really need to think about where they can make changes and whether that's going to be a, a transfer signing or or a, you know a formation change because something's got to give. At the other end of the table Manchester City who are creeping up now from their poor start to the season they're playing Arsenal next week Alex, do you think it's going to be tighter than the 5-0 defeat they faced at Boreham at the start of the season? Oh, definitely. Considering Arsenal, I think they they lost their last game last week to a team that no one thought they would lose to. So anything is possible. And I think, like you say, because Man City are now, they're on a bit of, of a run, they're starting to gain momentum. They're going to be, they're going to be determined and there's going to be a drive about them that they don't want to repeat losing 5-0 again to Arsenal. So I would like to say that City are going to definitely put up more of a fight, but I'm not sure on the result. As a Chelsea fan, I would either prefer City to win or a nice draw, because then that's a little bit a little bit nicer for Chelsea to then gain back some points. Share of the spoils would, would be what's best for you. Um, talking about surprising results, though, Leicester City versus Brighton. There was a lot of drama at the King Power Stadium as Leicester City beat Brighton 1-0 due to a strike from Shannon O'Brien. We had Leicester defender Sophie Howard on the show last week, and she commented how they needed to be more confident in front of goal. Now, this was shown in the game as Leicester were pinging off shots left, right and centre. Brighton could just not gather themselves, and although they had chances in the game, they couldn't convert them. This really opens up the bottom of the table as Leicester are pulled up from the bottom of the league, two points clear of Birmingham with this win. Leicester are also bouncing back from their 6-0 Conti Cup defeat in the week to Manchester City. What is going on with Brighton at the moment? They started so strongly but have lost their last four games in a row. Do you think they could salvage something in their fixture against Chelsea, Miriam, or is it all downhill from here? You know what, right, as a Chelsea fan, I just obviously I'm quite biased in that sense. But yesterday's game was like it was more of a, it was quite, it was probably on par in terms of a shock result as the Arsenal one, because facing like a Leicester team, they've only scored six times in 11 games. They've literally they're on par or just about of getting like the worst goal scoring record um, in the WSL, which I think was Liverpool um, a few seasons ago. But, you know, this is a team that doesn't score a lot, that doesn't have a lot of chances as you say, Brighton are very much like five or six places up the table. You would have thought that Brighton would have won this, but it was really, really shocking to see exactly what, what was happening in that game. They were allowing um, Leicester to push forward very easily and and the goal that came from Shannon O'Brien in the 54th minute, again, the, it's concerning to see how the defence was set up for that, allowing her to get forward, allowing her to take uh, to take that goal. Um and you have to worry now because it seems that Brighton are really dropping off. They really, you know, they're really sort of coming down the table. And you have to think about the other teams. Like I mentioned, Birmingham are there, Villa are there as well. Um, it's it's hard to describe because I feel like there's probably a lot of different things you could say. 
Um, but yeah, it's very much a shock, especially against Leicester. Brighton last season were the team that caused a lot of problems. I remember that Chelsea lost to them in the almost unbeaten season. Um, they did very well against the top teams, but they seem to struggle a little bit against teams that are lower down the table that have a hard sort of hard press, hard block. So, you know, there's, there's quite a few things, but it was very much a shock to see the game pan out like that. Brighton have historically been a very tricky side, so it's it's quite disappointing to see where they're sat in the table at the moment and how their, their poor run of form has affected them. Now, Alex, what can Hope Howe's side do to salvage something from this stagnance? Or are we just going to be having this conversation again next week? I'm not too sure what Hope Powell can do. I think we might be having this conversation again next week. But just to echo what Marion was saying about how Brighton are that side that did beat Chelsea last season in the almost unbeaten season. So I, I don't know whether Emma Hayes will be having nightmares about playing Brighton because Brighton are one of those teams that are very hit or miss. Like when they're on form, they can beat anyone. Like they beat the champions. But... When they're not, the losses really are heightened and made a lot bigger than they are. So I would like to say Chelsea will, you know, go on and get the win. But I think sometimes Brighton are a bit of a tricky side to call. So, yeah, it's just a tricky one. But I do think, you know, on on the flip side of things with the managers, I think it's so good to have both Lydia Bedford and Hope Powell as the managers in the women's leagues. We don't, in in football and, and in sport in general, in women's sport, we don't see a lot of female coaches. So I think hopefully, yeah, although Brighton lost, hopefully like some of their fans there will get inspired to, you know, one day maybe pick up a ball or even become a coach. So there are positives despite negatives on the field. Uh, just to... Just to kind of add, um, Chelsea haven't played since like mid-December. It will be almost a month since they play again, um, which has kind of historically been a problem for us. We're a little bit rusty when we come back from games. Uh, and if teams have cottoned on, a fast start, a fast push often gets goals for the opponents. So if anyone from Brighton is listening, that's definitely the way to go about it. Yeah, what is it? Chelsea haven't scored since the FA Cup final or haven't won a game since the FA Cup final? They haven't scored and um, like I said, we haven't played since then and it's, it's a really long stretch to not play. Uh, we have a couple of players who have been injured. So again, that might seem, might see a change of formation. We might, we've been trying to go with the back three, but we're not getting the right players in there at the moment. So Anik Nowen, who was a new signing over the summer, she's she slotting there so well, but then she was injured. So we kind of had to mix things around. So, and that's not working for us either. So that's another way Brighton could possibly some damage. Talking about teams you play in North London, we had Spurs versus West Ham at the Hive. In the late kickoff on Sunday, it was a dramatic finish as West Ham's Kate Longhurst grabbed an equaliser to deny Spurs all three points. If Spurs would have won this game, they could have leapfrogged Chelsea and gone into second. Rihanna Skinner's side had gone ahead thank to, thanks to Rosella Ayan's penalty after Hawa Sissoko brought down GL Tang for which she was booked and the booking proved really costly as just two minutes later she was shown a second yellow for a descent after fouling Jessica Naz. But Longhurst, a lifelong West Ham fan and season ticket holder at the London Stadium, 
struck with a powerful header and boy did she celebrate did you watch did you watch the celebration video it was wonderful wasn't it seeing that all over twitter afterwards oh too good it's interesting for tottenham that they've now had two games this season where they've dropped points in the dying minutes miriam do they struggle to hold on this is the interesting thing um they actually do they've done really well when they've been a goal down they've won they've done really well to come back but the games they've lost um or drawn to have been by a goal like they drew 1-1 against Arsenal they drew 1-1 against United um the games they lost were by one goal so they're they're kind of a team that are really on the cusp of, of results you know it's a very sort of close game always um and it's it's very much in in the balance so I think that what we saw yesterday it was again a product of that it was the issue that when it comes down to last minute stuff that they often can't sort of finish the game like score more goals you know put it to bed almost um that that having having such a narrow sort of goal scoring uh tally when it comes to that really puts a lot of pressure on on yourself and your back four especially because um when it comes to that kind of that stage of the game teams are really pushing on and Spurs have struggled with teams that push on and pr- apply pressure especially when it's um when it's them playing out from the back and giving possession away in dangerous areas which is I think I think something that that happened against Arsenal happened against United and I think that West Ham kind of cottoned onto that as well to to push them because they're not a team that can put a game to bed um, they're not a team that score has been scoring a lot of goals but they have been kind of like results have been swinging their way almost so I, I think it was always it was always a risk at the t- that the game would go on like this especially because it was 1-0 for so long and you just felt it that that it was going to happen at some point if West Ham pushed enough they had quite a few chances to do that and they didn't they kind of had to wait until the 92nd minute so um I always felt like I, I knew that the game would happen like that and and it's a shame as you say because they had a chance to leapfrog Chelsea but, but I said before I think Spurs are doing really well and they're in a really good like sort of transformative phase they've still got a ways to go defensively and I think I think West Ham just sort of made the most of that yeah yeah hit the nail on the head there Kate Longhurst, in her post-match interview, said that the games that they play against Tottenham are not normally pretty football. Does grit come into it when stepping up to fixtures like these? Yeah, yeah, I think that I think that's a really good um, way of thinking about it because Spurs' midfield has always been a midfield that pushes very strong. We've got Kit Graham and Rhea Percival. Uh, those are two players who are always sort of scrounging for the ball, always pushing. They're always part of the attack. They're part of the defensive midfield. They're players who are very interchangeable in that sense. Um, and I think you saw that yesterday, that how much that they enjoy doing that kind of stuff. And I think that West Ham also found it difficult to do those things. So you have two teams who are quite similar in that sense, as you say, the two teams that want to fight it out. And we saw that yesterday. And that's probably also another reason why it was such a close game. So I think, yes, grit was very much in it. It was a difficult game for both teams. The pitch wasn't, you know, all that great. But a few pitches haven't been all that great this week and, and really across the season. So they did need to fight it out to get a result. Well, Tottenham have a huge game next week in the battle for third, which we've been talking about so far in this pod today, against Manchester United at Lee Sports Village. Now, they managed to claim back one point in that game earlier on in the season. Now, Alex, how do you think Tottenham are going to bounce back and how important is this result next week? I think, you know, it's good that they still have a point because London derbies, either they can go either way, you either draw or, you know, some one team gets hammered quite badly or it's quite close, like the Arsenal 
Chelsea game at the beginning of the season. But I think they'll be a little bit disappointed to have conceded late on, but they'll be happy in a sense that they didn't, although they conceded, they didn't concede to the point where they lost. But I think Spurs will sort of have to pick themselves up and, you know, they've got to be quite honest with themselves and be like, if we're making defensive errors, why are we doing that? And hopefully, you know, Spurs... Spurs United is going to be a tasty one because they're both sort of challenging for top four. So I'm not going to say it's going to determine who will end up in in the top four positions, but it could go a long way into helping confirm it. Now, away from the WSL into the championship, the league leaders Liverpool took on second bottom in the table, Watford. And despite the 23-point gap, the Hornets made Matt Beard's side work for the victory, which eventually was secured seven minutes from time thanks to their new signing, Katie Stengel, who's we found out from Twitter has been learning a lot about British life. She is quite funny on Twitter, so do follow her if you're on there. Now, unlike last season, Liverpool seem to have strengthened really well and are giving it a good shot. What do you think of their run of form, Miriam? I think you can you can see the the change in form. It's palpable to see. I mean, they've only conceded five goals this season. Defensive issues were something that really plagued them last season. They've really tightened up, and and on the attack as well, they have a lot of different dimensions to their attack. Whether that's Rachel Furness pushing up top, or you know, including the wing players, as you mentioned, the new the new signing that they've just brought in. Um, they have more than one way of attacking teams, and I think that was an issue last time last season in terms of goal scoring. Uh, when they come up against teams, they don't just have like one way of doing it. They, you know, they have wing players who can provide crosses. They can play fast, or counter-attack in football. Yes, they did lose Rinsola Babaji over the summer, um, and, and quite recently her contract expired and she moved on. Quite a few players have moved on, but as you say, they really made a good turnaround in terms of the players they lost and the players they've gained, and they've worked very efficiently on the issues. And as I say, the stats prove it have only conceded five goals this season, um, scoring 23 goals this season, having a lot of different players score. So it's not that you always see the same goal scorers. So the goals are being shared. The attack is much stronger and, and the dimensions of that is much stronger. So I, I think you can very much see. Um, and if you're very, if you're someone who follows them closely, you would be able to tell that there's been a very big difference. Liverpool stay seven points clear as London City Lionesses look to keep up the pressure they beat Sunderland 3-1 thanks to goals from Atlanta Primus, Karen Moyer and Amy Rogers. Sunderland grabbed a consolation in injury time thanks to Amy Ramshaw's penalty. Now just behind them are four teams covered by just two points. Durham are in a terrible run of form and they have slipped down to fourth and suffered a fourth defeat in five as they lost at home to Crystal Palace, who now go above them into third. It was an exciting first half with goals and action galore. Beth Heppel gave Durham a lead. Molly Maysharp equalised before Lizzie Waldy gave the Eagles the lead. Defender Catherine Hill then equalised 10 minutes before half-time. The winning goal came from Siobhan Wilson five minutes into the second half. It's four wins on the bounce now for Palace. Bristol City are also in good form as they won 1-0 at Blackburn thanks to Abby Harrelson's 16th-minute goal. And Charlton are also in the conversation as Karen Hills' side won 1-0 at home to Lewis thanks to Elise Hughes' first half goal. 
The other game in the division saw Sheffield United win 3-1 at home to Coventry United. It took 78 minutes to break the deadlock. Georgia Roberts opened the scoring. Two goals in the last 10 minutes from Courtney Sweetman-Kirk gave the Blades victory, despite a late Molly Green consolation. On to the national lead and filed and now the league leaders in the Northern Division on goal difference, thanks to a massive 6-1 win over Middlesbrough. Jess Holbrook opened the scoring just five minutes in. Despite Middlesbrough equalising through Jess Foster, the home side ran riot after that. Doubles from Faye McCoy and Jodie Redgrave had them 5-1 up before Melanie Bartley added a sick in stoppage time to leapfrog Derby. Although the Rams do have a game in hand. Burnley also had a 6-1 win over Sheffield FC thanks to five second-half goals. Burnley led after a quarter of an hour thanks to Evie Priestley. Abigail Hodgkin equalised for the Yorkshire side after a mix-up at the back. But second-half goals from Sarah Greenhouch and doubles from Dom Cooper and Courtney Willis meant Burnley are now in third. Hull remained bottom as they lost 3-1 at home to fellow relegation rivals Loughborough Lightning while Huddersfield leapfrogged Nottingham Forest after a 2-1 home win. In the south, Ipswich got back to winning ways with an expected 9-0 win over bottom side Hunslow. Natasha Thomas, Abby Lafayette, direct from a corner, and Maddie Biggs had them 3-0 up at half-time. Lafayette added her second before Thomas scored a hat-trick second half to make it four for her and 15 for the season with Biggs adding her second and Paige Peak also in the act. Poor old Hunslow, still winless and also goalless. Oxford stays second, six points behind with a game in hand. Two Beth Lumsden strikes sealed the points for United over Cardiff City, whose 100% home record this season continues. Southampton are third, a point behind Oxford with two games in hand and three on Ipswich. They won 1-0 at MK Dons, thanks to Ella Palsy's goal. Plymouth Argyle are now three points from safety just behind Cardiff, thanks to a 2-1 win over Portsmouth. Zoe Cunningham's penalty ensured that the Green Army took a vital three points. The final game saw London Bees comfortably win 5-0 at Chichester and Selsley leave the home side in a relegation mire. A quick look below that, and famous name in Doncaster Bells atop of the Division I Midlands, and the North is topped by Liverpool Feds and South East by Hashtag United and the South West by Cheltenham Town. In transfer news, Arsenal have secured Stina Blackstenius from Hacken and defender Laura Weinreuter to cover their current defensive rows. Blackstenius commented that one of her reasons for joining the club was the chance to play with Viviana Miedemar. But many have touted Blackstenius's move to Arsenal as Viv's replacement as her contract is up in the summer. Now, Alex, what do you think will happen to Miedemar at the end of this season? I hope for Arsenal fans, she does stay. Like, she's a ridiculously good goal scorer. At, like, one stage, she'd scored 100 goals in 110 matches, which is absolutely insane. And Arsenal would be fools to let her go. So I really hope that they can negotiate contract talks and just, you know, talk to her on a human level. And like, they're in the quarterfinals of the Champions League. So you never know if Arsenal get to the final, that might, might make her want to stay even more. But I, I just hope for her sake and Arsenal's that she does stay, even though she is at a rival 
rival club. <laughs> I think I think she wants silverware. And I don't think Arsenal's been able to give her that. So it'll be interesting to see whether she... I don't think we're going to get a decision or, or see what happens until the summer. Obviously, everything can change. But if Arsenal are able to clinch the title, then maybe she might stay. Miriam, what do you think? Yeah, I think I think we're right in saying she's going to want to look elsewhere for silverware. Because, you know, I think if Arsenal can win the WSL this season title, then it's it kind of cements her position for maybe one more season where maybe they might be able to push on for more Euro- European things. But as you say, it, it seems very much that Arsenal can only provide so much. She's done everything she can possibly do with Arsenal. A lot of players in this position then look to other leagues. Like, you know, we see them join Lyon or PSG. Um, and I think that's the next step up for her because she's viewed as as kind of in the same bracket as a lot of Europe's best and the world's best players. And I think that um, there's very much the idea that players like that need to prove themselves in other leagues so she's she's absolutely smashed it in WSL but is she going to be looking to you know the French league or Serie A um, and I, I think if I was her I'd want to do that because if Arsenal don't win the league if Chelsea creep up on them like they are creeping up on them and and they lose it that then I don't see why she's not in well within her rights to say then that I want to find a club that can support me in that sense. Where do you think she'd go? Oh, it's a difficult one. To be fair, like I don't think I don't think Arsenal would want to sell her to anyone in the WSL, and I think, as I said before, off oh, yeah, Chelsea don't have space in that sense. We don't have the space. Uh, she wouldn't want to go to like United, or she definitely wouldn't want to go Spurs. So it's definitely the only option is to look abroad. Now, mentioning we haven't even mentioned the La Liga, where Barcelona and Real Madrid are are doing really really well. So there's an option there. We've seen English players go there. Tony Duggan was one before she returned to to the WSL. Um, so I think it's it's definitely going to be one of the big ones. Well, that's Real Madrid, Barcelona. We haven't even mentioned Wolfsburg, PSG, Lyon. I think that's the only... She has to stay in that bracket because it, it accentuates her, her status, I think. And I think she she wants to continue her form and, and she needs to be surrounded by good players and opportunities to get silverware. And I think it's going to be one of those ones. Looking internationally now at Serie A, Juventus are well clear with 12 wins out of 12. They have only conceded four goals as well in those 12 games. They won 5-0 away at Pomigliano to leave them eight points clear of second place Roma, who are second on goal difference ahead of Sassuolo, and only five points separate second place and Inter in fifth. That's a really good way to wrap up the pod today. That's all we have time for, but don't forget to follow us on Twitter at TWFP1 and at Instagram at the Women's Football Podcast and also subscribe on all good podcasting platforms. Thanks. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye.